welcome to the Locking Castle Church podcast. This Sunday morning teaching was given as part of the Health Check series. Wow, that's loud, sorry. I'm sure that we all want to tackle this passage after such a joyful service. Um, I must admit, when I first read it, I was like, oh, that's a lot. And, uh, you know, second preach in the church. I can do this, maybe. Um, But, you know, actually, there's a lot of what I'm going to say today that you've already heard this morning. And there's a lot that um, I think God has been just picking out through all of that, all the stuff we've done, all the commissioning with Andy, the prayers, everything. Like, I really feel that this is an important message for us as a church at this time. And so so hopefully um, I'll be able to explain a bit about how this passage actually does speak right into our situation. So I think the best way to deal this is maybe just to tell you a bit of a story. (laughs) Let's try and figure out what all this means and understand the context of of these two letters. So it's a story about two churches in two cities, Pergamum and Thyatira. Ever since Paul had visited Asia Minor, they'd been following Jesus, but the Christians in these two cities were the minority. Pergamum was a large political capital and a center for education, medicine, and culture. It was also a very religious city. There were temples and more temples for Roman gods, for Greek gods. There was even a temple for the emperor of Rome. Which meant that a church with only one god stood out and they faced persecution, and one of them was martyred, a challenging environment, but they were holding on, remaining true to the name of Jesus. Thyatira was a smaller city, some would say the least important in the area. It was a center of business and trade, with a lot of powerful and active trade guilds, each with its own deity. The church was lucky. They didn't face the persecution that the Pergamon church did. And their love for God showed through their actions, and each action spurred them on to do more. Two very different cities and experiences for our churches, but they faced a similar problem. How do you you stay true to the one true God in a society where the more gods you worship, the better. And where being God's holy people, being called to be different to the world, interrupted getting on in life. For the church in Pergamum, life was tricky. It was a city full of sin, a city where Satan had his throne, a place where Christians were not just disliked, but actively persecuted. What a time it must have been for the leadership of that church. How do you keep everyone following the way of Jesus and keeping God's rules in the face of persecution? And so maybe they let some of the practices by a couple of the community slip. Like when someone decided to hold on to the teaching of Balaam, the guy from the book of Numbers with the talking donkey who enticed the Israelites away from, from worshiping the one true God to make them weaker so that King Balak could defeat them. 
Or when a group of Nicolaitans told their community that the secrets of Jesus could only be found in their practices, which looked very similar to that of other temples. Maybe those who did this were people who missed their life from before they gave their life to Jesus and struggled to let go of traditions long practiced. Maybe it was someone who had misunderstood the scriptures. Maybe it was someone who was so scared of being different and they didn't know what that might mean. Maybe it was someone who was just envious of how others in the city lived their lives and wanted to have it all. Maybe for the leadership, it was, just envi- um, it was easier to turn a blind eye. Unfortunately, all this led to compromise and Jesus was not impressed. Meanwhile, over in Thyatira, the temptation for compromise was coming from within the church. In a city where the trade guilds were in charge, and the only way to get ahead in business was to join their meetings, which took place in temples to other gods, a false leader and prophet was telling people it was okay to go all in. Even encouraging those who were steadfast to take part by saying that it was okay in God's eyes. A false prophet claiming spiritual authority who was damaging the community. A Jezebel, like the Israelite queen from 1 and 2 Kings, who introduced the worship of Baal to the Israelites and purged the prophets that spoke against her, tempting the community into sin and away from God. A person completely unrepentant, even though Jesus had given her time. So sure that her way was the best, no matter that it contradicted the word of God. Maybe leadership of this church were intimidated by her, worried about what she would do. Maybe she was a force to be reckoned with. Maybe the leadership saw all the good the church did, saw the love for Jesus the community had, and thought, well, we can tolerate her. They didn't realize the compromise they were leading them into or the anger that Jesus had towards them. Then one day, the churches receive a letter from John. It was a strange and amazing letter full of wonderful imagery, which both gave them hope and reminded them of the power and awesomeness of Jesus. And each church found they had a particular mention. He saw them was even aware of their actions. It is something special to be seen, to be recognized for all you do and bring to the lives of others. This type of affirmation makes us stronger, braver, bolder. But wait a minute, the letter doesn't stop here. Jesus also has a challenge for them. He's seen what has been happening in Pergamum and what the leadership have let happen. And he tells them to repent, to change direction, to say no to the path that they are taking and to turn back to him. And if not, well, then he will come and intervene. Where they have failed, he will succeed. At Thyatira, Jesus sees a leader who was misleading the Christians into compromise and a leadership tolerating her false prophecy. He promises to deal with this false prophet He encourages those who have allowed themselves to be led astray to also repent. 
He says to those who have managed to stay strong under pressure, you do not need to do any more than you have been doing. Just hold on. And just when both churches are feeling the enormity of Jesus speaking directly into their hearts and lives, he gives them relief. He reminds them of his promise of an intimate relationship with him. For Pergamum, he offers hidden manna and a white stone with a new name written on it just for them. God's perfect provision and the knowledge that they are counted as his. To have a new name that only he and each individual will know. For Thyatira, he promises power over the nations and the morning star, the knowledge that they will reign with him, and best of all, receive the gift of Jesus himself. They must have taken notice of this health check. They must have read and reread every word. And just as we know the power of God speaking through others into our own situation, they must have been encouraged to become what he wanted them to be, set apart and holy and his. So you might say to me, nice story, Kat, some really interesting things in that, but what does it mean for us, for Locking Castle Church? Well, firstly, I think it's good to be reminded that Jesus sees us. His eyes of blazing fire sees all that we do for him, all that we sacrifice, and all that we contribute to the kingdom. He sees our work and our love. And what an amazing truth that this is, that, we, that should spur us on to follow where he's leading us and to listen all the more when he has words of wisdom and caution for us. Secondly, I think that there's a message directly for those who are lead in leadership in the church. And we've been thinking so much this morning about what that leadership means. But the leadership doesn't just mean Andy. It doesn't just mean the staff team. It doesn't just, it doesn't just mean the ECC. It means all of us who have a responsibility and influence over others. These letters show that even in model churches who are praised for their love, steadfastness, and service, there can be corruption within it. These letter, there is a need to ensure that Jesus remains at the center of all we do, and that other influences do not try to move us away from that. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16, Paul says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, 
that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. For those who lead, we need to make sure that we are not pushing our own agenda. Instead, we need to try to reflect God, even when it challenges us, and even when we struggle to reconcile God's truth with our own opinion. And how would we do this? Well, I don't have the answer. <laughs> I'm not even going to try. <laughs> but I did read this quote from Henry Nguyen, and I think that it's a great checklist for us to reflect on. The central question is, are the leaders of the future truly men and women of God, people with an ardent desire to dwell in God's presence, to listen to God's voice, to look at God's beauty, to touch God's incarnate word, and to taste fully God's infinite goodness. And for everyone else? Well, it's our responsibility to ensure that Locking Castle Church tests and challenges the words which are shared here, the decisions that are made and the actions we undertake. We need to speak up when we feel there is a disconnect between what we think God is saying and what is being preached from the front. But we need to be careful about how we do that. We need to learn to speak truth in love. In what areas do we need to repent? In what areas do we need to hold on? Both involve a trust and reliance on Jesus' word. The double-edged sword coming from the mouth of Jesus reminds us of the way that his word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, as it says in Hebrews 4, verse 12. God has given us his word to help us to test our thoughts and attitudes to see if they're in line with his. When you hear something being preached from the front, is the point being backed up by God's word? Do we even know the Bible well enough to check? I was challenged recently on when the last time I picked my physical Bible up and not just read the one on my phone. And in all honesty, until recently, I picked it up on an occasion that I needed to, when I was preparing for a talk, or to lead the service, or to lead life group. But recently, I've started to read the Bible in a year using a podcast to help explain what I'm reading. And I've been overwhelmed at how by picking up the actual book nearly every day it has opened God's word up to me in a new way as I understand how the Bible fits together and where each part has its place. When Satan comes to tempt us, which he will, are we able to be like Jesus when he was tempted in the desert, when he responded to all temptation with the scriptures? And I say none of this to shame you about how much you're reading the Bible, as I talk about doing this Bible in a year, I'm already over a month behind. <laughs> but more, I want to inspire you to take up a gift given to us by God to support us even when tough times come so that we can hold on. 
so that we can make sure that we don't get distracted or discouraged from the good that Jesus wants to do. Thirdly, I think that what Jesus is really reminding the churches is that they are set called to be set apart and holy. The reason that Balaam and Jezebel are mentioned is because they were people who led the Israelites astray. They encouraged them to move away from God rather than toward him, and they told them that the rules and ways of life that God had given them through Moses didn't matter. If you read through Leviticus or Deuteronomy, you can read the many rules that God gave them. They are vast and detailed, arguably extremely difficult to keep. But the point of them was to keep the Israelites holy. And when they messed up, well, God gave them the tools to be able to come back to him through repentance and sacrifice. In Deuteronomy 13, there is a whole section which addresses the worship of other gods. It says in verse 1 to 4, If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place, and the prophet says, Let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow and him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him, serve him and hold fast to him. He was a jealous God. He wanted the Israelites for his own and the consequences for the one who led his people astray was severe. Our society is one where the idea of holding on to one God is increasingly different from the norm. The gods that are worshipped are many and everywhere. I'm not even going to try and attempt to figure out what the idols of today are. I'm sure we all have ideas and thoughts about what they are. It's something that's hotly contested and not something that I feel qualified to determine. But I do think that it's something we should discuss and debate more to be open to listening to each other, to find out the reasons why people might have a difference of opinion, to be willing to try and understand, and when we find a differing view, to challenge that in love and without judgment. Because when that happens, we won't be like infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Instead, we will be a community acting as a body with Christ at the head, finding a way to unite in love. Whatever the idols, the pressure from outside to conform to the way of the world is real. Satan continues to have influence, and we need to recognize that there are forces which do not want us to stay close to God. And the answer, keep Jesus at the center of all we do. We need to remember that Jesus sees what we do. We need to remember and be willing to repent and return to him and follow it in his way. We need to live out the command to love the Lord, with your, your God, with all your heart and soul and strength. And we need to hold on to him, no matter what the pressure is. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. My prayer for us all is that we could take time to do this individually and as a community, to allow Jesus to speak to us in the way he did to the churches in Revelation, to encourage us for the things we're doing well, but to challenge us on the things that we allow that are not of him. But we would do that in a way that gives space for us to listen and understand each other, to debate and discuss things in love. So that when we are tempted of, to things not of God, we are equipped to recognize this temptation to compromise and question it and resist it. So that we too can take up the mantle of holiness to be counted as his, to reign with him, and to have an intimate relationship with the morning star. Amen. Thank you for listening. To find out more about Rocking Castle Church, please visit our website at lockingcastlechurch.org.